Welcome to Career Buzz, the unique radio conversation that empowers lives, enriches careers, and energizes organizations. Today we explore how to pivot from art sales to nonprofit fundraising. Hi, I'm Erica Madison, executive coach, certified career advisor, and founder of Erica Madison Coaching and Consulting. I'm pleased to be your host today on Career Buzz. Thanks for tuning in. Has volunteering for a cause ever helped you discover a skill you wanted to hone? That's what happened when my guest, Maria Duffy, raised thousands of dollars as a charity runner in the Boston Marathon for Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, where her mother received care. Building on Maria's background in art sales, she launched her own art consulting business, focused on helping clients build their art collections. After discovering her passion for raising funds for causes that are personally meaningful to her, she decided to make a career pivot to nonprofit development. First, she worked as the annual giving manager of The Children's Room, a Massachusetts-based bereavement nonprofit. From there, she transitioned to assistant director of development at Reach Beyond Domestic Violence, a nonprofit organization that provides survivors of domestic violence with safety, shelter, and a path to healing. Their community-based approach promotes healthy relationships, fosters collaboration, and empowers community members to be agents of change. Maria was recently promoted to the role of Director of Development at REACH. Prior to joining the staff in 2022, Maria volunteered for the organization for two years. She's responsible for strategizing and implementing a fundraising plan focusing on individual donors, corporate giving, foundation grants, fundraising events, and special campaigns. She supervises the four-member development staff and is a member of the senior management team. Maria, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm curious, what do you like about what you do now? Well, first of all, thank you for having me and having this conversation with me today. I'm really excited to be with you and share a little bit about my story. Um, I am in nonprofit fundraising, and what that means is I really get to go out into the world and talk with people about the amazing work that my colleagues do. I currently work at an organization called Reach Beyond Domestic Violence. We provide support services for survivors of domestic abuse along with a really robust prevention program that we have. So I get to go out in the community and speak with people and share details about all of the support we're providing for people and the work we're doing to hopefully one day prevent domestic violence from happening in the first place and eradicating it completely. And just, I'm so dedicated to the work that we do at REACH and being able to share those stories and share the impact and really connect with people and talk with people about my colleagues is the favorite, my favorite part of what I do. Sounds wonderful. And it sounds like something that's that's really important to you. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. So what does a typical week look like? Understanding that, of course, no two weeks are identical. Yes. So, yes, uh, each week is different for sure. 
week to week, of course, it's different, as you said. Um, a big part of my job is meeting with people out in the community. So I'm out in the world, whether it's at networking events or doing one-on-one board member meetings or donor meetings. That's a huge part of the work I do. And it's the most fun part of my work as well. And having those different conversations with people and hearing their interest in domestic violence and domestic violence prevention. Um, And so there's that piece of just being out in the world, communicating about the work that my colleagues do and hopefully raising some money to support them and doing a lot of different workshops internally as well. Um, There's a huge administrative piece to my work. Uh, A huge part of nonprofit fundraising are special events. So planning different events at all times. At REACH, we have uh, a signature REACH for the Stars Gala. And that is really, it's a huge event and it truly takes an entire year to plan. So there's always work to be done week to week on that front. Um, And then there's a big part of ideating and planning ahead and trying to come up with new fundraising initiatives and thinking through kind of the the calendar year and each week is different based on where we are in the calendar year. We're currently gearing up for Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which is in October. So we have four different events in October. So really, really focusing on that right now. And then um, some standard things for nonprofit fundraising are appeals, which are those large mailings. I'm sure you get some in your mailbox at the end of the calendar year. So working on that. And then um, the Reach for the Stars Gala is in April this year. So doing a lot of work and getting ready for that as well. You mentioned that you love meeting with people, building relationships and so forth. I'm curious to hear more about that. What do you find particularly rewarding about that? Um, So domestic violence is a very heavy topic and Uh, My joke is often that, um, you know, you're at a cocktail party and someone asks you what you do. And I say, I work in nonprofit fundraising at a domestic violence organization. I get one of two responses. Um, It's either someone who's very uncomfortable and does not want to talk about this and ends the conversation quickly. So that's fine. But more often than not, people are really curious and people want to learn. So my favorite part about these conversations and going out into the world to share the work is a little piece of educating folks about domestic abuse and how prevalent it is and that it's not just physical abuse. It can also be financial, emotional, um, sexual, all different ways. And being able to make people realize that this is a really prevalent issue in our society and that they can do something to help. They can help people in their lives by just getting educated and spreading awareness. And of course, they can support REACH financially to provide the services that we provide at no cost. Thank you. And so there's this educating that's going on and you've noticed that there are different types of reactions you might get when you share about your work. When you think about the kinds of skills that are involved in doing your work, what does that look like? When I talk to people about nonprofit fundraising, I really say that it comes down to building relationships with people, um, to truly building genuine connections and connecting with people just on a human level. So I do think I am skilled in that way. I think I. I'm able to make connections with people. I like to 
learn about people. I try to be inquisitive and, you know, if someone, let's say I meet with a donor and they tell me about, you know, their child's wedding coming up, I make a point next time I see them to bring that up and check in with them. And I genuinely have an interest in people and talking with people. I also have um, a pretty good memory um, for better or worse. My husband is probably to his detriment sometimes, but for me, it's a, um, a, my, a benefit of mine that I can remember things about people and really check in with them on a human level. Because yes, I am meeting with people to hopefully secure some funding for reach. Um, but let's say I meet with someone for an hour, we spend maybe 15 minutes talking about that piece. It's really more about building that one-on-one -on -one connection. So I'm skilled in that way and highly organized. There's in nonprofit fundraising, there are a lot of moving pieces and things to keep track of, donors, people, um, events. There are you know a ton of things to keep track of with events. So I think being highly organized um, is also a skill I have. And I am extremely mission driven. So that also really, really drives my work and you know inspires me to sit with an Excel spreadsheet for an hour or you know whatever it is. So. So a number of skills are coming into play with the, the work that you're doing. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this kind of work. So it's an interesting story. Um, I, about four years ago, actually made a complete shift in my career. I was um, in art sales in my entire career up to this point. And um, in 2019, I ran the Boston Marathon as a charity runner for Dana-Farber, which was a, an amazing experience. Um, Dana-Farber is a place that's very important to me and my family. My mother, unfortunately, died um, when I was 25 of breast cancer, and she was a patient at Dana-Farber. And through that experience, um, we were just so blown away with all of the staff at Dana-Farber, from the parking attendant, who was the first person we saw when we got out of the car, to the doctors and nurses and everyone in there. Um, so after she died, I started running a little bit more and ran a few half marathons, which went well, and then um, had this idea of, well, like maybe I'll do a full marathon and thought, oh, I can run the marathon for Dana-Farber as a charity runner and raise money at the same time to support this place that was really important to me and my family. And I did that. It was a really great, tough experience, um, not only training for and running a marathon, but raising funds, um, which was something that was kind of new to me. And it was so motivating and special and feeling part of something bigger than myself um, was really life-changing. And then it was over, then the marathon was over. And I went back to my day-to-day -day job of art sales and felt kind of uninspired um, and unfulfilled. So then started thinking more about what I could do um, in my day-to-day -day that would feel like that and realize that I have all these sales skills, um, I have all this experience, why don't I shift to nonprofit fundraising? And so um, very consciously and actively made that shift um, in the summer of 2019 to look for nonprofit fundraising work and here I am. Good for you. That can be something that can be 
really daunting for a lot of people. So kudos to you for making that leap. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, I feel so grateful that I was able to do that. Um, it is scary and overwhelming, of course, to make a shift like that. And there's a lot of uncertainty around it. And at the same time, it, I just knew it was what I want. I knew it was right. I knew it was the right time to do it. I knew it was what I wanted to do. And that really pushed me to make sure that it happened. And what were some of the things that helped you make that change in your career? Um, I'm very fortunate that I have a lot of support from my family and friends. So I, after that summer of 2019, when I was feeling a little despondent, just selling art, I went for, I actually remember this moment, I went for a walk with my father in the Boston Common and was talking to him. He said, you know, what's up with you? You seem, you don't seem like yourself. You seem sad and you know, whatever. And I said, well, dad, I don't know. I just felt I had such a great experience running the marathon um, and I feel like something's missing now and said, I had an aha moment and um, said, you know, I'd really like to do something different in my career, in my day to day. And I'm thinking nonprofit fundraising. And I was a little nervous saying this to my dad because he was someone who stayed in his position for 35, 38 years, something like that. And a career shift was probably not something he would be supportive of, or that's what I thought, but he really, really was. And he said, okay, like, let's figure this out. Let's see what we can do to make this happen. And so he was a huge support for me along with my stepmother who then introduced me to a personal friend of hers who happened to be in development um, consulting, so nonprofit fundraising consulting. And I went and met her, who's this amazing, fiery woman, full of energy. And she liked me, I guess, and was willing to connect me with um, some people, including a woman, a director of philanthropy at a nonprofit called The Children's Room. Um, the Children's Room is based in Arlington, Massachusetts, and they are a bereavement center for children and teens who've had either a parent or a sibling die. Um, so naturally, this is a cause that is very important to me. While I wasn't a teen or child when my mother died at 25, um, it, of course, was a transformative experience. And I just feel really grateful. So I went through that interview process. I landed this job. They somehow trusted me, even though I had zero nonprofit fundraising experience and took me on. And I learned so much there. And um, that, that was my entry into this field. And it just feels so good um, to sit here sharing that story with you because I am so much more fulfilled and so much happier today. Wow, thank you for sharing that story. Now, you mentioned that you didn't have any nonprofit development experience leading up to that job that you landed. Where did the fundraising that you did as a runner in the marathon fit in with this? So, yeah, I guess it was a little bit of nonprofit fundraising experience as a volunteer. Um, it de I definitely included that in my, in my cover letter and in my, um, you know, and talked about it in my interviews. Uh, so it it fit right in, and I, it was actually yeah this great pivot point of doing that fundraising work and doing pretty well. I raised about fifteen thousand dollars for Dana Farber that year. Um, I've gone on to run the marathon a few different times since then and have raised a good amount of money, which I'm proud of. 
And um, something to note about nonprofit fundraising, the number one thing I hear from people um, in that I could never do what you do because I could never ask anyone for money. And I hate asking people for money. That's what I hear from people all the time. So I don't, and I'm not also not asking for money for myself. I'm really asking for money for people who need it and important causes that I truly believe in. And through that experience of fundraising for Dana Farber through the marathon, I realized that I was very comfortable asking, asking for donations, asking for funding. So it sounds like the experience with the marathon was a way for you to get some new skills, some new experiences, and see that you could be comfortable doing certain kinds of work. Yes, yeah, no, it definitely was. It was it was outside my comfort zone, I won't lie. Um, but it really, yes, it was this moment of I'm doing this as you know a volunteer and still working my full-time job um, and fundraising and trying to hold fundraising events myself. Um, and realizing that, that's when I did realize that fundraising really is about making connections and bringing people together um, and build, you know, just building relationships. And trust must be such a big piece of that. Could you speak a little bit to how that fits in with your work? In trust of others and asking money for? Okay. Um, yeah, trust in humanity a little bit, I think. Um, I do. I'm have a pretty positive outlook um, and trusting that people I talk with will be engaged and want to support this work. Um, I, you know, I don't know that people recognize how philanthropic people are in this country, but we really are the most philanthropic nation and people want to get behind those who need it. Um, and it feels really good. It feels really good to give, I think. Um, so trusting that about people and also trusting the people in my life that were there to support me through this transition. There were certainly a lot of late nights of statement, unable to sleep, am I doing the right thing? Uh, how am I gonna do this? What if I fail, uh, you know? Um, but just having a huge, an amazing support network to lean on really helped me. So a lot of fears that you had to get past in order to enable yourself to make this career switch. Yes, definitely a ton, but it was worth it. It was worth it. And what were you doing prior? You mentioned when we were speaking earlier that you studied art history and then that you were working in the art world. Could you share a little bit about what that previous career looked like and then some of the transferable skills you were able to bring with you into what you're currently doing? Yeah, um, so I graduated with an art history degree um, in 2007, which was right amidst the financial crisis. So that was a really scary time to graduate college, to be honest. Um, but I was fortunate and landed at a prominent art gallery in New York City and worked um, kind of at the front desk there as an entry-level position, did that, and eventually worked my way up to work in the founder's office. And art is something I've always had an interest in. Um, I used to go to museums all the time growing up and just have always been fascinated by it. I'm completely untalented myself, so I am not an artist, but have a huge appreciation for it and all that it brings um, to life. So worked in gallery sales in New York City and then moved here to Boston and worked at a gallery on Newbury Street um, for a couple of years and just loved it, loved um, 
talking with people about art, helping them find something special to them. And, you know, I think people often hear art, it really is subjective and it's personal and helping, being able to help someone find something that really speaks to them was very rewarding. Um, it was different in what I do now in that much more structured around financial goals um, and sales goals. So there is this element of go, 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 of course, and really pushing yourself and anxiety around, you know, what if my monthly numbers aren't where they need to be? Um, what do I do? And it just felt a little bit um, more chaotic in that way, but I loved it too. It also really, I was driven by it and, and motivated and, you know, wanted to make those sales. I wanted that great commission. It felt really good um, to, to, to get that paycheck. So I worked at the gallery on Newbury Street for a while and then um, decided to go out on my own and started my own art consulting business, meaning that I would work with a select number of clients and help them build their art collections and source artwork for them, connect them with galleries, but also directly with artists. Um, when I started that, I really focused on people who wanted to, younger people who wanted to build an art collection, um, but were maybe intimidated by it. And I totally recognize that walking to an art gallery and buying a piece of art is intimidating and overwhelming. And am I going to look like an idiot or am I going to look like I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't know anything about art, but I want some of it. Um, so worked with clients to kind of demystify the art world and connect them with, with works that they loved. And it was wonderful. I did that for about three years. Um, it was fun and I met so many great people. It was also quite lucrative, um, which was wonderful. And I'm, I'm very proud of the work I did. It was, I was successful in it. It just, um, at that point in 2019, no longer felt fulfilling in the way that I wanted it to be. And realized that, you know, what I'm really doing in art sales, like, you know, I, I understand art. I studied art history. I know artists' names. I know different styles. I know all of that. That is a piece of it. But again, going back to this idea that sales really is about building connections and making people feel connected to you and being available to people. Um, so that relationship building skill was directly transferable to fundraising. And while my paycheck took a significant cut um, when, I, when I shifted careers, that drive was still there, not from a commission standpoint, um, but the standpoint of knowing I'm supporting someone who really needs it, whether that be a grieving child, like it was at the children's room when I worked there, or a survivor of domestic abuse, like where, where I work at REACH now. So you were able to take these different skills that you had built over the years in your previous line of work and apply them to the current setting. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. And I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about what it was like when you were running your business and what kinds of competencies you were developing there that enabled you to thrive in that setting. And then, of course, bring that forward to the kind of work that you're doing now. Mm -hmm. um, I think so starting any new business on your own is scary. And there are a lot of pieces that you don't necessarily recognize when you work as part of a larger organization or company. Right, simple things like paperwork and contracts, and they're—I say simple—they're not so simple, but they're—you know—they're very important. But you aren't as involved with that. 
Um, so while it was a, a bit of a learning curve in structuring my consulting business that way and learning, you know, about LLCs and yeah, client contracts and taxes, or you get me started on taxes, but um, it really gave me a deeper appreciation for obviously running my own business, but how other businesses are run. And um, both of these nonprofits that I have worked for in fundraising have been small shops, we call them, um, small organizations. And I bring that up because in a small organization, you're really involved with all of the different pieces. It's not a scenario where you're really just doing your one job of meeting with donors, let's say, and doing asks. You're doing, I'm, do, I'm doing that. I'm taking the trash out sometimes. I'm, um, you know, helping with some, introducing some survivors or walking them into the office, um, things like that. And just, I think for me, for my own business, having that understanding of the business as a whole was really beneficial and um, interesting to me. And I learned a lot and, you know, I have people in my life who are starting businesses themselves and being able to share what, you know, what knowledge I have. Everyone's different. Everyone has a different experience and different priorities, of course. Um, so that, that was a big piece of it. And, you know, I think, I also think it would have been, I don't know that I would have made the career change had I not gone out on my own. Um, going out on my own was scary. Um, you know, there's uncertainty around that. And, um, I think if, when I think about if I made the jump from working at the gallery on Newberry Street to nonprofit fundraising, that seems like a really big jump in my mind. And I don't know that I would have done that necessarily. I might have just stayed on that track of working at a different gallery or, you know, whatever it might be. But taking the leap to do my own business, have it be successful, um, enjoy doing it open the door for me to say, hey, you know, I, I did that once. Why couldn't I do it again in this different way and change sectors and try this out? And this, when I did that shift, I did have more of the mentality, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can sell art. I know I can sell art. I can still do this. Um, and I'm just, I'm grateful it did. I'm very lucky it did work out. But I think it, taking that leap, initially to start my own business helped me take the bigger leap to change careers. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So that entrepreneurial experience that you had helped free you up to explore other possibilities in your career. Yes. Yeah. Um, because, you know, as I said, on the one hand, it's overwhelming to, to work for yourself and motivate yourself and be responsible for everything. Um, but it's, there's, as you said, a lot of freedom in it too and that's the, the positive thing it can be whatever you want it to be you're the one that makes all of this, those decisions you choose who you work with um so i think recognizing just feeling really empowered in that and um recognizing that hey, yeah i should do what feels good i can do what feels good how did working for yourself help you clarify certain things about what you were looking for for the next phase of your career I think that when I was working for other people at galleries, um, you know, there's obviously a, a power dynamic there and just more doing, doing things as they've been done for many years and falling into the structure of, 
these systems that have been placed for a long time. And what I mean by that is kind of being, okay, this is, this is what works. This is what you're supposed to do. These are the steps you're supposed to take um, when working with clients. There's not necessarily a lot of innovation or new ideas brought in. And um, so I think then working for myself and having the confidence really to say, well, no, I don't, I don't want to do it that way. And I don't have to do it that way. And I can do it my own way was really empowering. And um, also now being in this, I'm currently the director of development, nonprofit fundraising at Reach Beyond Domestic Violence and being in this leadership position. Of course, I'm part of a larger team and organization, but having the ability to share new ideas um, and hopefully influence the organization in a positive way to move forward. Um, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that from just an employee in a gallery. Sure. So I'm hearing things around taking initiative, demonstrating leadership, decision-making, innovation, all things that you were able to cultivate mm -hmm. as a business owner, as your own boss, and bring forward into your current role as an employee as a, a member of leadership within your current organization. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. And I'm curious, how far back does your interest in nonprofit work go? Um, so pretty far back, though I, you know, I only entered the sector four years ago. Um, my parents growing up were very philanthropic, and I mean that we were fortunate to be able to give back financially, um, to have that stability in our family. But um, really mainly my mother uh, was someone who loved helping others. And so it's something that was ingrained in our family, um, with me and my brothers. And my mother um, you know, gave and gave and gave and would help anyone with anything they needed. There's actually a funny quick story, and hopefully it'll be quick. Um, my mother was born on the Azores, which are the islands off the coast of Portugal. And um, when she was, let's say, around seven years old, um, there was a man coming, kind of go, you know, walking around saying he needed help. He was jobless and, and needed to find a new job, but he didn't have a suit to wear to an interview. And um, my mom, you know, this young child says, well, I have a suit. I can give you no problem. So she went to her house and took um, my grandfather's nicest suit and gave it to this man that she had just met on the street. Um, she said, please, like, go take this. This is yours. Like, go wear it to the interview, um, which is adorable. Um, I do not think my grandfather thought that was adorable. And so, you know, he gets home and says, Paula, where is where is my best suit? Like, what what's going on? And she explains and he's, you know, mad. But I think uh, it's a story that they often talked about and just a demonstration that inherent in her was this need and want to give back. So it's something that has been really important to me and my family my whole life. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting story and, and says a lot about, you know, her values and then what was passed down to you. And when you look back on your career, are there any decisions you made or actions that you took that you would do differently if you had another chance? Yes, um, I think, I don't think I checked in, in the early part of my career and when I worked in the art world, I don't think I checked in with myself enough about 
how I really felt. You know, we all know we spend 40 plus hours a week doing our jobs. Um, so it's a, most of our life, our day-to-day life. Um, and I don't think I took the time to step back and say, Maria, are you really happy doing this? I think I had these goals in mind and felt like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. I graduated with an art history degree. I got a job at a gallery. Like That's pretty lucky. Not everyone can do that. So just do this. And then I'm on this track and I'm supposed to get promoted and be gallery director one day and, you know, and do all of that. And I think the more, the further and further I got along those steps, I then, you know, I started to maybe think about it more. Um, so I think I wish I had checked in with myself and had the thought to do that. Um, naturally, I didn't really have that thought, unfortunately, naturally. So I had some things happen in my personal life that really forced me to take a look at myself and my life and how I wanted it to be and what would make me feel happier. And, um, you know, for better or worse, these very tough experiences I've had um, led me to where I am today and that those I'm grateful that I was able to stop and say hey I'm not happy with my life and a huge part of the reason I'm not happy with my life is what I'm doing for work so I think I wish I'd just magically known to check in with myself and really think about how it feels to be doing what I was doing. And so that self-awareness that that you're talking about, that checking in and so forth, were there any people who helped you cultivate that? Yes, I am a huge believer in therapy. I have a a really wonderful therapist um, who I've, I've worked with for many, many years now. So she's been a great resource. Um, you know, it's I, for me, it is easy to get stuck in kind of the race and go through your day-to-day so she, having that hour with her a week and being able to slow down and really look at things I dreaded it sometimes I'm not gonna lie I dreaded going in I dreaded thinking about myself and my happiness and you know it's it's also it was a shift for me mentally to think about me owning my life and my happiness you know like I said I, I did experience a, a few traumatic events and and things in my life um and for me I did think oh well these things are happening to me um not what can I do uh to make my life the life I want it to be um so you know therapy was a great resource for me and then as I've said my my family and friends um, I'm very, I'm very close with my dad and brothers and stepmother, and you know they've been a huge support system for me. What do you wish you had done more of, or what would you like to do more of as you think about moving forward? I am someone who constantly likes to learn and um, kind of broaden my horizons. So going forward, I want to continue getting out into the world and meeting new people and hearing new perspectives and, you know, meeting with someone for an hour. I learn 10 new things that I didn't know before. So continuing to do that and grow and something I feel very lucky about um, at Reach Beyond Domestic Violence, the team that I work with is extraordinary. I learn from my colleagues every single day. I've I've been with the organization professionally for about a a year and four months now. 
And just as a human being, I have learned so much. I, I, I feel so grateful to all of the people I work with. And I started out at REACH as a volunteer. Um, a few years ago, we had an online chat service that is similar to Hotline, which I'm sure many people are familiar with. But instead of it being a phone call, it's just an online chat. So you could do it from your phone or computer. And for survivors of domestic abuse, that offers um, a safer way to communicate. Maybe you're at home with your abuser and you cannot, uh, you don't feel safe hopping on a phone call. Um, so I volunteered with REACH um, through that. And so kind of got a taste of the organization and the culture through that experience and knew that I would be with a team that would be supportive and that I would be inspired by. And I've been really fortunate to have that here at REACH and at the children's room and going forward in my career, that is going to be the top one of the top things I look for. Um, I think you really need to be driven by your team and learn from them and grow. This reminds me of what you were saying earlier about how you were able to try out fundraising work by running the marathon and raising thousands of dollars for a cause that's near and dear to you. And in this case, you were able to volunteer for the organization and get to know it a bit, some of the staff, before you ended up working there. So it sounds like a little bit of a, a parallel situation. Yes. Yeah, um, they're both, you know, running a marathon is volunteering. So, yeah, both of these volunteer opportunities I had uh, have been so beneficial and rewarding for me and led me to, to where I am today. And earlier you were mentioning that sometimes in your career you've had a few different things going on at once. Um, could you share a little bit about how you managed to have your own business and also have other things brewing in your career at the same time? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a good question. So I, you know, I, as I've said, I made the shift in 2019 from the art world to nonprofit fundraising. However, that wasn't an overnight shift. Um, it took months to, in, you know, interview, get introductions and figure out exactly where I wanted to be in nonprofit fundraising. So that whole time I was still doing my client work in art consulting. So when I first started out in fundraising at the children's room, I was essentially working both jobs and trying to make sure I had finished and shepherded all of my current client load in the, in the art consulting business and closed out all of those projects. Um, so to balance both was challenging. I entered this new fundraising world that I didn't know much about and starting a new job and going from working by myself to working with a team and all of that. Um, and so I was mostly doing the art client work on weekends and, you know, yep, was working seven days a week for a few months, uh, but then got to the plate. I wasn't taking any new clients on in that period from an art sales perspective, um, but just make, kind of closing out all of those projects and feeling good about where I left my art consulting business too was really important to me. I'm extraordinarily proud of it and it was successful. Um, so I wanted it, I wanted to wrap it up in a, in a thoughtful way. And it's funny, I still, it's been four years, but I still get um, occasional phone calls here there, someone referring someone to me and I'm tempted. I'm so tempted to, to dip my toe back into it. I don't, but it, you know, work-life balance is something I'm also really working on. So um, yeah, don't, don't want to do that though. It would be fun. So maybe if some very unique fun project came up, I would do it. 
Got it. Okay. So you were able to manage having a couple of different things going on in your career at once. You were wrapping things up with your business, ending that on a high note that you felt really proud of, while at the same time building up in this new area. I'm wondering what kinds of support or resources or practices helped you start off strong in this new career that you started for yourself a few years ago? Um, the, this woman that I met with initially when I was making the shift was a huge resource for me uh, in the beginning. She's she's still available to me, and I'm eternally grateful to her. Um, so she was, she was wonderful. I think it's great to have that type of mentor to bounce ideas off of and talk to. I was also really fortunate in that my manager at the children's room was just a wonderful person all around that I'm still very close with and always will be, I hope. Um, So having that relationship where I felt I could ask her questions and she was interested in me in my growth and in teaching me was really important and for also different um, kind of online networks and forums um, there's a great face nonprofit um, happy hour Facebook group that I'm a part of um, Boston businesswoman too I'm a part of they, they've been a wonderful resource and um, in the non you know as a female uh, a lot of nonprofit fundraisers are females and I do feel fortunate that I've been able to build some great networks and find support through through this community here. Um, we have a lot of nonprofits in this area and there's some really great, great networks to be a part of. Yeah, so you were really able to find a number of people and groups over the years that have been able to mentor you and help you learn and grow as a, a nonprofit development professional. Yes. Yeah. Terrific. So important. So what kinds of tips would you give to people who are looking to either move into the nonprofit sector from another sector, or maybe even specifically into the kind of work that you do? It's, it's funny. I, um, you know, naturally when you enter the nonprofit world or join a new charity business, um, people ask you know what you did beforehand and it's not, often that I find people who have always been in nonprofit fundraising. Um, It is a field that you can shift into a little bit later in your career, in the middle of your career, early, you know, early to middle of your career. Um, Because as I said, it really is about being personable and building relationships. Um, So any, as far as a tip I would give, if it's something that you think, wow, maybe I would be good at that, or maybe that would feel good, or maybe that would be interesting. Talk to someone, reach out to one of these online networks that I'm talking about, Um, volunteer somewhere. Obviously that was really life-changing for me. And just don't be afraid to explore it. Um, You can explore anything and it's okay if it's not the path you wanna go down. Um, And yeah, just go for it. I think I spent, a lot of time in my early career just as i said earlier going through doing what i was expected to do or what i thought i was expected to do without taking the sleep and as scary as it sounds to completely change your job and change your career um, when i look back on making that shift four years ago i don't 
remember being totally freaked out or scared by it or paralyzed by it. I remember being really energized and excited to do it. And I'm so glad I did it. So my tips would be just, if you're curious about something, find more about it out and ask questions and meet people. Come meet me. I don't know. Yeah. And there are tools that make this increasingly easy um, to, for, to connect with people in industries that people are interested in. Um, lots, lots of ways to do it. Um, reaching out. I'm hearing you talking about being curious, um, open-minded, giving things a chance, doing volunteering, talking to people in the industry. Terrific. And are there any lessons that you would share in terms of life or career decisions as again, you look back and reflect? Yeah, I think, uh, maybe a couple. So I think for me, first of all, my life has improved so much doing by doing mission work that I'm so dedicated to. I'm a really mission driven person. And I think I've always known that about myself, but it was never at the forefront of my decision-making and when selecting a career. So if you're really passionate about something, try to see how you can weave it into your day to day. It really has changed my life for the better so much. What other kinds of lessons come up for you? I think as people, um, we evolve year to year and decade to decade. And I, our careers often don't evolve in that same way when I think they should. You know, I am a different person today than I was 15, 20 years ago. So it's natural that I'd want to do something different in my day to day. And, you know, when I think about like my, my parents' generation, that was people were not shifting industries. People weren't shifting jobs, who, you know, businesses. As I said, my father was at his company for 35 plus years. And it's not like that anymore. Um, there is more movement. And, you know, I've, I've evolved and changed so much. And I feel grateful that uh, my career has been able to evolve with me because it should, because as I said, we spend most of our time doing our work. Beautiful. And as you think about this continually evolving career, what's next for you? What's possible? What are you excited about? I'm so this is a my position currently at Reach Beyond Domestic Violence as director of development is fairly new. It's really just about two months uh, that I've sat in this seat. So I'm excited about the years to come at Reach and seeing how I can grow our fundraising program and the organization is growing itself. Um, we are based in Waltham. However, we service 27 communities in the Metro West area. And I know that's something we'd like to do is make sure that our presence is known in these large, more broadly in our catchment area. So working with the team to increase funding and bringing in new donors so that we can have a stronger presence in some of, some of these communities is really exciting for me and seeing where reach is three to five years from now and being part of that, being a big part of that is something, you know, I'm really, really excited about and curious about. Terrific. Where can people go to learn more about you, your organization, this kind of work? Yeah. So Reach Beyond Domestic Violence, our website is reachma.org. 
There are a ton of really amazing resources on there if you're curious to learn more about domestic abuse, um, how to support people in your life who may be experiencing it. Um, also, as I mentioned, we have a prevention and education program, which is really, really interesting. My email address is on the website as well. So if you'd like to reach out with any questions or just to chat, please, please do. Um, I can be found on LinkedIn. Great. Thank you so much for sharing about your story, your career journey, um, this new work that you have pivoted into over the past few years and how people can reach out and connect. Thank you so much, Erica. You're listening to Career Buzz on CIUT 89.5 FM in Toronto and worldwide at CIUT.FM. Stories show that who you are matters. I'm your host, Erica Madison. Before continuing on with today's show, I'd like to remind you about other Career Buzz episodes about inspiring career stories. I want to let listeners know about the August 16th episode of Career Buzz, where I interview international artist and TV and music producer Ivana Millet about her love of creating, organizing charitable initiatives, and connecting with people through music. Did you know that you can find Career Buzz on Facebook? We have links to past episodes, photos, and more. Go to facebook.com slash career buzz show. Now, back to my interview with nonprofit fundraiser Maria Duffy of Reach Beyond Domestic Violence. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you'd like to share about? Yes, I think, you know, I spoke about how I'm mission driven and how it's important to me to feel really connected to an organization's mission that I work for. And um, something we weren't able to touch on is that um, I myself am a survivor of domestic abuse. I am, you know, I had a very difficult traumatic experience with an ex of mine, an intimate partner. And it is something that is much more common than we talk about in this country. It is something that is associated with a lot of shame and I can really speak firsthand to that. I felt an immense amount of shame as I was going through my experience and did not want to talk to people in my life about what was going on. It was this real tension that I had of knowing what was happening to me was unacceptable and wanting to protect my partner because this was someone that I was in a relationship with and as complicated as it sounds, cared about and wanted to protect. Um, So being able to support work at Reach Beyond Domestic Violence with having my own experience motivates me in a way um, that I am proud of and while every survivor's experience is unique and every case is different I do feel extremely energized and motivated to support the work and spread awareness about domestic abuse I am someone who maybe societally you would not think of as a survivor or victim or experiencing this 
And for me, it's important to, to spread that message, not necessarily of my own story, but that this is something that happens in every single community and that we all really need to work together and remain connected to eradicate it, to end this sense of shame, to end this silence and kind of break, break through domestic abuse as an issue. So being able to do my small part um, in, in making that work possible feels really, really good. Thank you for sharing that, Maria. When you think about the kinds of resources that your organization makes available to people who are seeking support, who can benefit from support, um, what what would you say about that so that people have a little bit more awareness about what is out there for them? So we are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week on our hotline. It is on our listed on our website as well. Um, you can call that number anytime. It can be if you yourself are experiencing domestic abuse or if you have a loved one um, who you think you see the signs of it. You can call our hotline and ask for resources. What, you know, what, what should I say to my loved one? I think when I have spoken with people in my personal life who maybe have experience or through my own experience, I remember, you know, how do, how do you talk to someone about this? You, you suspect or you think someone might be experiencing this, how do you talk to them about it um, in a way that doesn't alienate them? Um, we have great resources on that and we're available with really any sort of support that you need. And if we cannot, if we don't have specifically what you are looking for, we know who to connect you with. So we will connect you with the appropriate organization or other resource. That's terrific. And you mentioned that you have a certain um, geographic area that you serve. Are there similar organizations for other localities since we have people listening from around not only North America, but all over the world? Yes. Um, so there's a, in Massachusetts, there's a statewide network of domestic violence organizations. Um, we're all connected through something called SafeLink, you can look up, and Jane Doe. Um, nationally, there's a national organization of domestic violence organizations where you can search by your zip code and find resources near you. Um, luckily, yes, there are many, many organizations throughout the country that are here to support people. Um, we just need to make it known far and wide that we are here for support. Thank you. When you think about the kinds of people who you work with um, at your organization, you, you shared about being part of a supportive organization. I'd love to hear more about what you think um, are the important elements that go into creating a supportive workspace. I can speak from, from REACH specifically, because um, we, we do it very well here. Um, we have a set of values that we all really live by and work by day to day. Being a nonprofit organization, everyone who works here is really mission driven and dedicated to our mission on a personal level, whether they have experienced domestic abuse in their life or someone in there, someone a loved one has. Um, so this understanding that 
uh, actually one of our values is that we are all in this together and we did our rebranding and values before the pandemic so i would just like to highlight that reach has really been saying that for a long time um, but there is this true feeling that we're all in this together we're working toward a common goal and it's a really difficult one uh, it can feel like no matter how much we do it's not enough you know i, I can feel that way um, but feeling part of this team and actually hearing all of the success stories that my colleagues can share with me um, is huge. And everyone is really just, just so dedicated to the mission that we're here to support each other with whatever we need. Um, and Rach does a great job also of trying to take care of staff members. And you know we all talk about self-care. Um, not every organization really promotes it in the way that REACH does um, in making, carving out the time and resources. And we have, for instance, clinical supervision available for, for staff um, who, so you can talk about anything you'd like to, um, you know, that is provided by, by REACH, which is really important. So these values, really um, embodying them and acting with compassion toward the staff and having this mission um, alignment are, are some of the elements I'm hearing. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, and also I'd love to hear a little bit about the, the donors, the kinds of people who you're working with day in, day out. Um, what, what do you love about working with these kinds of people who are supporting the work that your organization is doing? Yeah, so, you know, as I've shared, domestic violence really is a prevalent issue, and many of our donors have personal connections as well, whether it's themselves or someone they care about. So we have a very special group of donors that really, really care about the work, and beyond just writing a check or curious and want to be more involved, whether it's through a direct volunteer perspective or just hearing updates about all that's going on at the organization. And really part an important part of fundraising is letting a donor know where their money is going and keeping them updated and making them really feel part of the work. And our donors, I have to say, are, are so dedicated um, that they really are, are part of the work and offer new ideas. And we, we are lucky, we're, our organization has been around for 42 years. And we have many, many donors who have been with us for 20 plus years. So there's an immense historical knowledge there that they're often willing, willing to share and help kind of formulate our ideas. As I said, as we try to grow into our different communities and, and make changes organizationally, they are there to support us. That's great. Um, well, I appreciate your time and, and the important work that's taking place. So um, take care of yourself and um, keep up the, the wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you, Erica. You've been listening to Career Buzz. Stories show that who you are matters. I'm your host, Erica Madison. I'm the founder of Erica Madison Coaching and Consulting. I provide coaching and advising services to help people navigate professional challenges and transitions so they can lead fulfilling, impactful careers. Visit ericamadison.com to learn more. That's E-R-I-C-A-M-A-T-T-I-S-O-N.com. If you have comments or questions about today's episode, please share them with Mark Franklin at M-A-R-K 
at careercycles.com. Thanks to my guest, Maria Duffy. Thank you for being here and thank you for the important work that you do. To learn more about Reach Beyond Domestic Violence, please visit their website at reachma.org where you can access an array of resources. Technical production by Heidi Hyung. Subscribe to Career Buzz on your favorite podcast app and find it at the podcast link on careercycles.com. Catch Career Buzz every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on CIUT. That's it for today's episode of Career Buzz. Thanks for listening.